morning. We are continuing our study on what it means to be the church, the ecclesiology, the theology of the church. Uh, we've drawn a lot of wrong conclusions over time about what church is. Church is something we do on Sunday morning, something we attend. We used to turn to our neighbors and say, welcome to church. We don't do that anymore. So turn to your neighbors and say, welcome to the church. Say that to your neighbor all the way around. Welcome to the church. The church is you. The church is a body of believers, people who gather up together the called out who've been saved by the blood of Christ to declare the gospel to the world. So we're digging in on that. We're continuing to see what that means. On September the 17th, in a couple of weeks, we'll have a special guest. You'll hear about it in Connection Points, John Freem, who used to be on staff here, is now a pastor at a church that is very alive in Louisiana will be with us on that day. That day is called Church Alive. We are returning back to a pursuit of the church, the body of Christ, being alive spiritually, experiencing revival. And John is pastoring one of the most alive churches on the planet. I hope that you'll be a part of that day, not just Sunday morning, but Sunday afternoon, as he seeks to encourage us and exhort us from the Word of God. Well, let's continue in on what it means to be the church. What does it mean that you are the church? Well, as we talk about, uh, we are the gathered, the corporate body of Christ gathered together for his glory. The world is more serious about gathering than we are. I don't know if you saw this last week, but the world got so excited about a volleyball game, they gathered at Nebraska Stadium and set the world record for the largest attended volleyball game ever, 91,000 people in summer heat gathered in a football stadium to watch volleyball because they were wanting to gather. Uh, yesterday in Stillwater and Norman, I promise you, if you were there and you live to tell about it, God bless you. I don't put up with the crowds. It's way better than the air conditioning on a television. But we are serious in this world about gathering, and think about this. They gather up to watch teams that will eventually lose multiple times this season. Is that crazy? They go to watch losers and winners. They win and they lose. They win and they lose. We are part of the best team on this planet. We gather together as the body of Christ. We cannot lose because the Bible says we've been made more than conquerors, and yet how easy it is to neglect the gathering of the church. We're going to dig in this morning and look at the purpose of the church. We've looked at a lot of things and what it means to be the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. What is the purpose of for you, the church. Well, if you don't answer that question correctly, you get the wrong answer. Or if you answer the wrong question, even with the right answer, you still have the wrong answer. For decades now, we've been answering the wrong questions about the church. Why aren't people coming to church anymore? Why is the church in America declining? Why are we baptizing less people than ever before? And when they started worrying about who was coming to church, we redefined what church is. We made it a place, an event, a thing. The church is a living body of believers. It's you and it's me. And when we talk about the church, it isn't how do we fix the church and get more people to church. It's how do we become the church alive, the church that God has called us to be. I uh, surrendered to ministry in the 80s. It was known as the church growth movement. And at that time, the church kind of honed in on a purpose of the church, evangelism. It was about who could be the biggest church in town and how could you reach as many people as possible, the church growth movement. 
We were one of the biggest churches in town at that time. Over 2,400 people gathered at the old campus, and, and uh, it was a fast-growing church, and it was an exciting time, and some of you were a part of that. Some of you maybe knew about it, and some of you weren't even born yet. But we were consumed with reaching this world with the gospel, and that is a part of the purpose. It's a part of the purpose. It isn't the purpose. But when it became the purpose, we became one-dimensional and outside it's a pendulum swing away from truth. Then after that season of church life, it swung all the way back over this direction and, and people said, well, well, that's too one-dimensional. We're supposed to be discipled and make disciples. And then there was this emphasis on discipleship. And that too is a part of the purpose of the church, but it's a part, it's not the purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church? We're going to dig in today and, and see what that means and what God designed the church to be. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at this passage a little bit in the past, but let me bring it into this consideration, the purpose of the church, why we gather, why we are the little c. Why is it not enough just to be a part of the big C? Now, if you haven't been a part of the sermon series, it's called Big C, Little C. Apart from Christ, in our sin, we're separated from a holy God. Our sin would separate us. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him could have eternal life. That speaks of being birthed into the big C, the church, the church universal. The church is not the Baptist church, it's not the Methodist church, it's not the Catholic church. The church is the body of Christ in all the earth. That's the universal church. Those who know Christ have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And then, those who are part of the big C, the body of Christ, gather together locally in what we call the little C, the local church. The first sermon that was preached in Jerusalem was preached... There were thousands that were from all over the world that had come into Jerusalem for that festival. They heard the gospel, they were saved, and there were some who stayed in Jerusalem, and they became the little sea at Jerusalem. There were others that went back to Antioch. There were others that went back to other cities and other villages, and they took the gospel with them, and there the gospel would spread, and missionaries like Paul and Barnabas and, and others would go and preach the gospel. People would be saved, and there where they were saved, they would gather together the saved in little seas, the church at Corinth, which we'll look at right now, the church at Colossae, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi. Uh, the seven churches you read about in the book of Revelation, those were little seas made up of those who were part of the big sea. But there were some over time who began to draw the same conclusion as we did post-COVID. What we're about to look at is not a post-COVID reality that we neglect the gathering, we don't need the little sea anymore. Well, that was happening even in Paul's day. And so way before COVID, that same virus was attacking the big C, the church. We don't need to gather. We don't need to be a part of a body of believers. So Paul had to write about it in 1 Corinthians 12. Take a look at it, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but it is many. Now he is going to draw an analogy of your physical body, and then use that to paint a spiritual truth to realize that we are a body of believers, the body of Christ. And he says, look at your physical body. It will teach you 
the truth about what God has designed for the church. The church was never designed to be cathedrals and brick and mortar. The, the church was designed to be a people, a sanctified people called out from the world to reach the world and be a light in this world of the truth of God, the gospel of God. And so when we dig in on this, he says, just like the body, it isn't just one member. You're not just a foot. You're not just an ear. You're not just eyes. Your body needs all of those members to make up a whole body. And yet we can buy into the lie that some parts of the body are more important than others, and I'm just not of value. Uh, Or the body isn't valuable to me. I'm okay just on my own. I can just be an ear, and that's good enough. Well, he shows them the fallacy of their argument and their belief. He says, if the foot were to say, well, number one, there's a problem if your foot's talking. That's a little weird. That's not what he's trying to say, but he's saying if the foot drew the conclusion, "Mm, I'm just not as important as the hand. The body needs the hand way more than it needs me, so I don't need the body. Wrong. The body needs both the hand and the foot. If the ear is to say, I'm not an eye. Well, the foot doesn't know where to go, and the ears don't know what to do or, or how to get to where they're supposed to go from what they've heard if they don't see where to go. Both are necessary. Paul is using the argument. And basically, he's having to confront them to quit living by lies and excuses. Quit living detached from the body and discover your place in the body. Look at verse 17. He says, For if the whole body were an eye, where would we then hear? If the whole body was nothing but an ear and was hearing, where would we have the sense of smell? In other words, we need every single part of this body. We need every one of you. And oh, by the way, every one of you. And yet COVID kind of taught us, well, I can do church from home. I can do church online. You can if you're homebound, if you're traveling, if you need be, but I would tell you the church is the corporate gathered who come together for these purposes we're going to see in Scripture. We need to be a part of the whole body. Now watch this, verse 18. Now know this, God has placed the members. You are a member of the big C if you know Christ. And God has placed you in his body, the body of Christ, and he will place you at a little c, a local body of believers, for a purpose. Watch this. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, into the body just as he has desired. In our Western culture, we're very me-focused. The Corinthian culture is very much like America today. Uh, We joke, uh, we basically say it was the Las Vegas of its region. It was a place where everybody went to party and everything was good and everything was legal. You could do whatever you wanted to do in Corinth, just leave it there in Corinth. Same thing is kind of bought into our uh, culture and our, you can do whatever you want to do. This is your country, your freedom, your body, your choice. And that's what was going on in Corinth. So Paul had to step into into that and remind them that it isn't about them, it's all about him. Can I say that again? It wasn't about them. He reminds them it's about him. But in the church, even in the church in America today, we make it about us. We say it's our church. And we want what we want. And we make it about what we desire 
And we forget the purpose of the body of Christ, the purpose of the church. So I want to return to Scripture, and I want to remind you, first thing we see in verse 18 is, this isn't about you, it's all about him. And you have been placed in his body for a purpose. Look at it again, verse 18. For God has placed every one of you, every one of them, into the body just as he has desired. Now flip over to Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 1. I've told you before, I got to go on a mission trip sharing the gospel in what is now a Muslim country, Turkey, which was once the flourishing uh, area of the little seas of the New Testament church. Uh, The seven churches you read about in the book of Revelation all now are in current modern-day Turkey. And I've been able to see a lot of those ruins, the church at Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, the one in Turkey. I got to see the church of Colossae. That's where this letter was written, called Colossians. Uh, The people who lived in Colossae uh, were known as Colossians. And so Paul is writing them a letter. And here's the interesting thing. I got to also go through the uh, excavation in the ruins of Ephesus, where the book of Ephesians was written. It's a fascinating city. it, It was a large, prosperous city. It had lots of Roman coliseums and Uh, basic apartments built into the hillsides where people lived shoulder to shoulder. Basically what would be modern day apartments is kind of how they dwelt among each other in Ephesus. And you can go back and you can see all that's been dug out and you can kind of see a lot of that city come alive. But in Colossae, there is no dig. There may be by now, but when I was there just 10 years ago, I was standing on a mound of dirt and everything about Colossae was underneath my feet. What once was a thriving church, a a, a body of believers, is now a Muslim nation where the gospel is rarely preached. Back then, Paul was encouraging the saints who lived in that city. Listen to what he said. He reminded them that it was by Jesus, by him, that all things were created. We just didn't come into being just because we evolved out of some kind of DNA, we have a creator, and it's Jesus. He created all things, both in heaven and on earth. He reminds them there's not just this realm, but there's also a heavenly realm, a spiritual realm. For those who don't have a spiritual life, all we tend to be focused on is this physical realm. He reminds them not only is there this earth, but there's also this spiritual realm, this eternal realm, the visible and the invisible. He said, God also created thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him. That includes you. And that includes me. And you and me make up the little c, the local church. And so when he says all things were created through him, that means the church was also created through him. We saw that earlier in Corinthians. That God has placed us in his body. He has created his church for a purpose. What is the purpose of the church? Is it to make you get up on Sundays and come do some religious duty and get God's favor on your life? No. God's purpose is greater. Take a look at this. And here we find the last part of verse 16. Why did God create you? And why did God create the church? Look at what it says. For all things have been created through him, and watch this, for him. For him. You were created for a purpose. You were created for your creator. 
The church was established by God for a purpose for him. It's never been about you. It's never been about me. It's always been about him. And yet in our Western culture, we make everything about us. Now, let me prove it to you, verse 18, that it is about him and the church. Look at verse 18. For Paul would go on to say, he also is head of the body, the church. Not just is he the head of you personally, he's also the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. The deacons are not the head of the church. The congregation is not the head of the church. It is not our church. Can I remind you of that? It's his church. We get to be a part of that body. And we all have roles within that. The deacons have a role. The pastor has a role. Our ministry staff have roles. You have a role as the body of Christ. We all have roles, but he is head of the church. And what is he the head of? What's the purpose of the church? Well, the church was created through him and created for him. We were created for God. The church does not exist for us. That would make it a seeker church. The church doesn't exist for you. That would be a self-seeking church. The church exists for him. And Christ in his word is the one we seek. The Bible says the one we seek seeks you, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's look at the purpose of the church. Go to Colossians chapter 3 now, verse 16. Paul continues to teach them that they were created by God and for God. They have a purpose. And the first of threefold purpose, there are three dimensions to our purpose. I told you earlier in the 80s, we made it one dimensional. It was about reaching the lost. In the 90s and the 2000s, we made it about discipleship. And that also was a dimension, but it's not the totality of purpose. Purpose is threefold for the church. The first one is found here in verse 16. Look at what he says, Colossians 3. It's called exaltation. The most primary purpose of the gathering in the church is to exalt God in worship. Look at this. He said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We were able to do that as we gathered this morning. Now, I hope that you didn't come to church. I hope you came to worship. I hope you didn't come to a Baptist church. I hope you came to be a part of the church. Yeah, we may be a Baptist church, PCBC, but we're not. We are the church gathered. We gather together locally so that we could primarily, number one, exalt God together. That's what Alex and the team were doing earlier. And not only were we just singing songs because that's what you do at church, we were doing that because that's how you exalt God with a heart of worship. And not only that, but if you notice, Alex did a phenomenal job today of bringing the word with the songs. That is biblical worship. But I would also tell you worship is more than a song. And worship is more than hearing the word. Those are parts of worship, but worship is a life that exalts God in all things and in all ways. And we are to do that together. You can do that privately. You are to do that privately. Matter of fact, the Bible says you do that individually in everything you say and everything you do. That is your personal mandate. But then the Bible says God has designed a corporate experience 
where all the individuals a part of the big C gather together at a little C and corporately we express our worship to God. It's powerful. I'll never forget in Atlanta as we had gathered up a bunch of teenagers and we were experiencing a revival there outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember as that auditorium was packed out with a thousand adults and teenagers raising the roof, it helped Mercy Me was leading the way too. It was a pretty cool gig. And as we were expressing our worship to God and we were seeing kids baptized, over 60 kids baptized, as you watched in that room, uh, teenagers just exalting God in between each baptism and singing their hearts out on fire for the Lord, there were those among us who were watching. And they saw, watch, watch what he said. It wasn't just that we were singing songs. Look at how he says we do it at the end of verse 16. We do that with hearts of thanksgiving. With thankfulness in our hearts, but expressed to God. It's easy to come sit in a church and let everybody else sing and we just watch. It's easy to come up and just do church, but not be the church. When we come together, guys, we get to be something unique on this planet, a body of believers, and every one of us is a part of that body. And every one of us gets to come together and unify our hearts and express our thankfulness to God through songs, through the word, through our expressions of worship. You don't come to church, you come to worship. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips to acknowledge him. It goes on later in Hebrews and says, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. The church, one of the primary purposes is to come together and to worship God, to exalt him above all things, above our circumstances, above our preferences, above our own selfish desires, and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11, if you want to write it down in your notes, tells us how we should do that. Acceptable worship, let me show you what it looks like. Acceptable worship is very simple. It says in Psalms 2.11, worship the Lord with reverence. Number one, reverence. Reverence is an awe, a holy awe that says, God, you are God and I'm not. God, you are holy and you are making me holy. God, you are my master. I'm not the Lord. I'm not the king. You are. And Lord, I humbly bow before you and I love you with all that I am, reverence. But notice this, there's a second part. Worship the Lord with reverence and with rejoicing. There should be reverence, and there should be rejoicing. Now, in the first service, I had to preach to a totally different audience. They are the generation of Baptists that were told, you only worship God in reverence. If you did any rejoicing, you were out of the will of God. Don't you get happy in Jesus? You go to church, and you be reverent, and you be a good Baptist boy and girl, and you do church, and that was... Dishonoring to God, frankly. And it drove a lot of people away from God. Because that ain't God. That ain't what he designed the church to be. The church is where we come together and with reverence and with great rejoicing. 
We celebrate every time we gather together what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. Primary purpose, worship God. Second purpose, go to Ephesians. Second purpose, Ephesians chapter 4. Three-dimensional purpose of the church. Number one, exalt God. Ministry to Him. The second one is what we call edification or the equipping of the saints. It's ministry to the believers. Take a look at Ephesians 4.11. It says that God gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be, not all, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Paul's reminding them there's a reason God put the church together and how he designed the church. And if the little C wasn't important, we wouldn't need pastors, we wouldn't need teachers, we wouldn't need evangelists. But it is important to the heart of God and the design of God. And so God, as he put the body together, he also created roles of leadership to lead the body. For what purpose? Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, that's you and me, to do the work of service. I've told you before, the church lost its way. When it became all about evangelism, we made it all about the lost. Or when we rolled all the way over here and we made it all about discipleship, then it became about, well, this is our church and it needs to be what we want and you need to tickle my ears and you need to tell me what I want and we just are the holy saints gathered up, the frozen chosen. Wrong. Both are wrong. The Bible says we exalt God and we equip the saints so that we are the church we need to be in the world to do the work of service. So churches over time hired pastors and preachers and said, you work for us, and uh, as long as you do the right stuff, we'll keep you employed. Wrong. I'm not your preacher. Me and the staff, we are your pastors. We are your shepherds. It's a role. Look at it in Ephesians 4. We exist as a role to equip you, the workers of the kingdom. I don't know if you've been watching the sermon bumper, but it says, are we really the kingdom? Do we have a kingdom? Are we the body of Christ? What are all these terms? God has called you into his kingdom and his kingdom work. We are to equip you, look at this, look at what it says, until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man or person. Now, I don't know if any of you want to hold up your hand and say, I happen to be very mature, Pastor. <laughs> we are all maturing. Some of us at a faster rate than others. Girls, don't look at the younger guys in the youth group, all right? We get it. We know how that trends. It's not talking about physical maturity. It's talking about spiritual maturity, becoming like Christ. And the goal of the church is to equip you and to disciple you, to exalt God together, but to become more like Christ on a daily basis. God designed it. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Don't trash the church. Yeah, the church has its shortcomings. But don't trash the bride of Christ. Don't trash the purposes that God has for the church. He told Timothy, Timothy, devote yourself to the reading of the Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Don't get away from the purpose of why the church gathers. Yes, it gathers to exalt God, but also you teach them that they might mature in their faith. That's the second-fold purpose. But let me take you to the last, and we'll close Turn over to Mark chapter 16. The third dimension of purpose is found in Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. The purpose of the church is three-dimensional. Exalting God, worship. Equipping the saints, ministry to the believer. 
And now we find the third dimension, ministry to this world. Mark 16, what we find is Jesus has been crucified for your sins and mine. Not because the Romans hung him there, not because the Jews sold him out. Those worked all together for God's good to accomplish his divine purpose to save you and me. Jesus died on a cross. He's buried in a tomb, dead. The disciples have given everything to follow Jesus. Three and a half years of their life. They left their trades, their companies, their families. They went on the road, and every day they were with Jesus because they thought Jesus was going to be this Messiah that was going to kick Rome out of their city. They saw him as a political deliverer, not a spiritual deliverer, and now they are greatly disappointed and greatly disillusioned. Jesus has been buried in a tomb. They're hiding. Oh, they're gathered up. They were doing church, and Jesus appears to them. Because you see, Jesus not only died, not only was buried, he rose again from the dead. He conquered death in the grave, and he appeared to the eleven. Afterwards, it says, verse 14, that he appeared to the eleven themselves, and they were reclining at the table. You see, it was the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're gathered around a table. They're eating vittles. They're picking out on a church potluck, and they're having their pity party. Jesus has betrayed them. Jesus is dead. The movement is done. Game over. As they're sitting there pouting, Jesus approaches them, and he gives them a reproach. Look at this. And he reproached them for their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. Because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And Jesus then said to them, bad boys, naughty boys, you are grounded for life. No. He says to them, look at what he says to them. He brings them back to purpose. Go into all the world preach the gospel to everybody, to all creation. Real simple. He didn't give them a long sermon as I have you this morning. He just simply spoke to them one line. Get up and get out. Not get out of his church, not get out of his presence, not get out of his kingdom. Get out and go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, That word go there is the Greek aortis imperative. That means nothing to you, but in the Greek language, it meant everything. And when you heard a word given in that verb tense, it meant you better get it done, exclamation mark. You get it done now. Check it off. You don't pray about it. You don't have a a Bible study about it. You don't gather for six weeks and say, how are we going to do it? You just do it. Live your purpose. Get out. Don't sit here huddled up around a table, doubting everything and disturbed and discouraged in things. Get out and proclaim the gospel. Look at what he said. Go and preach. A lot of people think preaching happens at a pulpit in churches. No, God's design is that the church preaches to the world. Now, that doesn't mean you go finger pointing and you don't go shoving Jesus down people's throat, but what does it mean to preach? The literal word in the Greek literally means to herald, to proclaim good news to an audience. 
Whenever they didn't have back then Instagram or Facebook or social media to post their victories, they would send out preachers, heralds, and they would go from city to city, uh, basically uh, speaking on behalf of the king the results of what's happening in the kingdom. Especially if there was battles or wars and they had just won the war, they would send out the heralds and they would declare the good news. We have won. We have defeated the enemy. And what we find in Scripture, Jesus was saying to them, serve your king. You have a divine purpose. Go and herald the good news. The enemy has been defeated. I've conquered death in the grave. That you may taste death on this planet, but if you believe in me, you can live. Go tell the world. Tell all creation. The church has a beautiful threefold purpose. To exalt him, to equip the saints and encourage one another in their faith, and to evangelize the world with the greatest message known to man. Some people think that the greatest tragedy on this earth is the death of a person. But more tragic than that is living on this earth without purpose. And I would tell you this, the greatest lasting eternal tragedy is when the church is not living out our purpose. To worship Him, to grow in Him, and to make Him known. God, revive us the church.